Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on The Detail, we're supposed to be best mates. So how did it go from this? New Zealand has no better friend and no greater ally than Australia. To this. I think New Zealand, frankly, is tired of having Australia export its problems. Why do the two countries react so differently? We go both sides of the Tasman to find out. And we look at how this was a turning point. We will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. So here's a rundown of the latest spat. Now, a New Zealand woman identified as an Islamic State terrorist has been detained at the border while attempting to travel from Syria into Turkey. In a tweet, Turkey's Ministry of National Defence said three New Zealand citizens, including two children, had been caught trying to illegally enter the country. The 26-year-old is identified only as S.A. She was later named as Suheira Aden. She had left New Zealand for Australia at the age of six. She held dual citizenship, but last year her Australian citizenship was automatically revoked under the country's anti-terrorism laws. Australia says the woman is New Zealand's problem. It's my job as, a, as, a, as the Australian Prime Minister to put Australia's national security interests first. I never believed that the right response was to simply have a race to revoke people's citizenship. That is just not the right thing to do. Australia raised a terrorist then dumped her. That was a headline in the New Zealand Herald this week. But what about Australia's response? Well, there hasn't been much of a reaction. It has been covered a little bit in some news outlets in Australia. Peter Chen teaches media and politics at Sydney University. But it's really been reported through the lens of that New Zealand is upset rather than this is what Australia has elected to do. You've got to keep in mind that Australia has been, as New Zealanders well known, deporting uh, New Zealand citizens on character grounds. And that regularly uh, gets right up the nose of uh, New Zealanders and is very, very rarely ever reported. Tends only to be reported when there is a prime ministerial visit from New Zealand and the prime minister raises the issue and our prime minister says, yeah, what are you going to do? I saw a tweet this morning that Scott Morrison would export Australian bushfires to New Zealand if he could. And I guess that sums up how New Zealanders feel about the way we're being treated. No, that's exactly right. And I think this is very consistent, really, since the start of the uh, 21st century um, with the prime ministership of John Howard, who famously said, We are a generous, open-hearted people, taking more refugees on a per capita basis than any nation except Canada. We have a proud record of welcoming people from 140 different nations. But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. And that really has been the policy of Australian governments for 20 years now. We all know that Australia is the best country in the world in which to live. (laughs) Over the next 10 years, we will invest an additional $32 billion in the defence of Australia. And I think one of the things that is kind of interesting about it is that it is generally quite a popular policy in Australia, though it's not regularly discussed really amongst the kind of general community. It also has been a policy that Australian governments have been willing to enact at the expense of regional relationships. 
So if we think about the mandatory offshore detention of asylum seekers, which has been a, a policy that Australia has pursued quite ruthlessly for some time now, Australia has been very willing to do that. And it has been one that has been significantly alienating to our regional partners, particularly Indonesia, for example. So New Zealand's treatment is not unique, but it does show how Australia is willing to pursue a Australia first policy in this area. And to be honest, it is generally extremely popular policy. So if we look at 2015, when these new laws were introduced that allowed um, the Minister of Immigration to deport people who uh, had engaged in either terrorist acts or training or things like that, um, if they were dual citizens. At the time, 81% of Australians said they supported um, that legislation. That was 93% of people who voted for the government, 77% of people who voted for the opposition, and interestingly, 52% um, of people who were Greens voters, and the Greens Party is generally considered our progressive party in Australia. When asked, Australians if they would agree to an expansion of that policy where people could be stripped of Australian citizenship and deported even if they didn't have dual citizenship, i.e. effectively making them stateless, still three-quarters of Australians agreed that they would be happy for that to occur. So it shows you what a, a callous and ruthless group of people Australians can be when it comes to migration issues. But, you know, in this specific situation with this woman and her two children... Would there be no sympathy for the fact that coming to New Zealand and if this woman is detained in any way, what happens to her children? There is no family here. Her family are in Australia. Is there any thought given to that? Well, clearly not, because it's a decision that's been made by the government. I mean, I think their position is that they don't care. Has this type of issue gained much traction amongst the Australian community? There has been a little bit of reporting of the cases of Australian, you know, quote-unquote ISIS brides who are in terrible situations in uh, camps, but it has not raised a major public outcry that something should be done. So let's look at the history of the trans-Tasman tensions with Professor Philippa Main-Smith. She's lived and worked in both countries over many decades, and Australia's hardline approach is no surprise to her. Not at all. It's just totally in keeping with their general attitude to anything concerning Australian national interests as, as they perceive them, and particularly border protection. Uh, anyone they perceive as a threat or as undesirable. And this has hardened in the last 25 years since the Howard government of the mid-90s. There's a fundamental difference there between the two countries. But the issue is that the relationship has so many strands. That's why it looks domestic at times. And there can be harmony and sweetness and light in some strands, such as family ties and health policy, and there's huge fights in others. And usually the disputes are in the areas of security and border protection. And this latest case would come under that heading, in my view. But the problem is, yes, these disputes, can, when they blow up, they can affect the flavour of the whole relationship. What do you mean by the flavour of the relationship? Looking kindly on one another as neighbours and friends and family and then suddenly getting annoyed and being more competitive and 
less conciliatory, shall we say. It was interesting, wasn't it, to see the Prime Minister, she was absolutely livid on Tuesday and the kind of language that she used then. I raised that issue directly with PM Morrison and asked that we work together on resolving the issue. I was then informed in the following year that Australia had unilaterally revoked the citizenship of the individual involved. You can imagine my response. Since that time, we have continually raised with Australia our view that their decision was wrong. She would be personally offended given he had intimated or she had understood that they would be conversing and working together and resolving this issue. But frankly, that's not an Australian way of behaving. Under a, certainly a more right-wing, liberal national coalition type government, I, I wouldn't expect them to want to even liaise with New Zealand on this. They would assert their national interest, which is what they've done. Australia's interest here is that we do not want to see terrorists who fought with terrorism organisations enjoying privileges of citizenship, which I think they forfeit, the second they gauge as an enemy of our country. And I think Australians would agree with that. Thanks all very much. I understand our DAP Prime Minister does speak regularly with the Australian Prime Minister, and that's a historic pattern where they've talked frequently usually by telephone. It almost seems pointless, doesn't it? I mean, if she's taken by surprise on something like this, then really how how valuable are those regular talks that they have? I think they are in sorting through issues and the fact that that does seem to have um, become less tense if her own language has changed. The Prime Minister's office has just issued a statement saying the call was constructive regardless of the steps taken in this case to date. Both New Zealand and Australia acknowledge that this case now has a number of complexities. We are working through those issues in the spirit of our relationship. So I would take that that as a rather conciliatory statement. It won't change the Australian position. You know what it's like to live there and obviously mix with people there and get their opinions on things. Do you feel like we're drifting apart? Is this a sort of a reflection that we're going in different directions? It does happen in waves. Um, I see a pattern over the long term, can't help it, sorry, as an historian, of fluctuations together and apart roughly every decade. The first decade of the 2000s, we were talking about even maybe having a single market. Relations became closer and closer. You know, we saw a smart gate introduced at the border and so on. And now I think since 2014 with that 501 policy and Australia starting to post back those deemed undesirable. The rising number of New Zealanders who are being detained and then kicked out of Australia could eventually run into the thousands. There are 1,500 New Zealand-born prisoners in Australian jails, with around 5,000 over the past decade going through the prison system for periods of more than 12 months. The Australian Lawyers' Alliance says that's the number of people who could potentially be deported, and no other country's being subjected to this treatment by Australia. I think we are at risk of drifting apart, but... I'm always hopeful that those other multiple strands of the relationship will hold the Tasman world together. You think about even importing vaccines, um, health policy's always been very close, policing, education. There are a lot of areas where those close ties will be maintained, but it's always, um, we're moving apart in this area of uh, security and border protection.
sounds like that's not going to make any difference to the business relationships, family relationships. No, but there, there have been policy shifts, if you're interested in those, in the last generation mm. um, that discriminated more against Kiwis, which is why we get distressed because there's a discrimination between Kiwis who moved to Australia uh, more than 20 years ago and those who moved less than 20 years ago because Australia, the Australian government is great at putting a line in the sand, setting a, a date and saying bef- after, if after this date you're treated differently from people before this date and that's what happened in February 2001. Anyone who went over there, they found their pathway to citizenship closed off unless they were highly skilled. You know, when I went over to Australia the first time, the moment I arrived, I was treated like a permanent resident, but that was the 1980s. Why do you think Australia is more harsh about these kind of laws, you know, the border laws and the treatment of refugees, asylum seekers, dual citizenship? Well, I'm actually a dual citizen um, oh, myself because I saw it as an extension, just enlarging my identity. You'd never take away my New Zealand identity ever, but I just saw it as a gloss, mm-hmm. <laughs> adding the Australian. The downsides relate to, I think, geopolitics and Australia's different positioning in the world, much closer to Asia and perceived threats. So Australians, their security specialists talk about the Indo-Pacific and see Australia as belonging to that region and wanting to defend especially their northern borders. They think that we have a soft option, that we're so much further away so we don't have to agonise as much about these possible threats from asylum seekers and so on. Do you think that's reasonable? I think it is excessively defensive, psyche, But it's historical as well. There's a pattern to that. (laughs) You could say um, Australians have a history of um, locking people up. I do think it's excessive, but New Zealand is not going to be able to convince Australian politicians otherwise. So it's futile then, this kind of language that the, the Prime Minister used? No, her indignation is not futile. Trying to change the Australian position is, yes, I'm very glad she expressed anger and didn't just lie down and accept it, is what I mean. She's mm. asserting a, a, a New Zealand voice, which I think is invaluable, um, if we think globally. And if, I quite like little New Zealand taking a moral position. Uh, I think it suits us politically to do so internationally and New Zealand did in the Tampa affair 20 years ago. When 438 boat refugees were denied entry to Australia after their ship broke down, New Zealand took in 131 of these refugees eventually and the rest were sent to a detention centre in Nauru. And look what we've got, Abbas Nazari getting a Fulbright scholarship recently. It's a Tampa child. So I think it's good for New Zealand to main... um, maintain those its own policy position on refugees and asylum seekers and particularly when when Prime Minister Jacinda was talking about the children of this latest um, ISIS wife considering the children who can only be deemed innocents. 
what will be guiding a lot of what we do from here is the fact two very, very small children who did not make the choice to be born into a war zone are involved. Something that you need to keep in mind about the history of Australia, and that is one of the major motivations for Federation of Australia was that successive colonial officers back in England had denied Australian colonies the power to restrict migration from non-white parts of the British Empire. And so a strong motivation of Federation was the introduction of the White Australia policy. And I think this, uh, this tendency for a highly racialized border control policy um, runs through Australia's history that is about exclusion, that is about control, and often very clearly, I think, has racialized elements to them. It feels now like New Zealand and Australia are growing further and further apart culturally. Australians have a very high regard for New Zealanders. I and mean, they'll point to things like the Anzac tradition and, you know, shared cultural values and things like that. But I think there is a growing division between Australia's political conservatism and the progressiveness of, um, of New Zealand. And I think that's seen particularly in areas like Indigenous uh, affairs, really. I guess one of the kind of problems is that Australians probably, if they thought about it, would be actually quite upset with their government for alienating uh, New Zealanders who they do hold in high regard. But unfortunately, Australia virtually receives no news about New Zealand at all unless there is a natural disaster or there is a major sporting event. And New Zealand elections too barely get much coverage in Australia. And Australia's, uh, you know, relatively poor media environment, I think, is partly to, uh, to blame for this. And certainly there is um, very little popular understanding of how insulted and affronted New Zealanders are with regards to this issue right now, but also the general deportation issue. The organisations uh, representing expatriate New Zealanders in Australia, you know, of whom, you know, there are about a million, right? So that's a large number of people you know, like the Oz Kiwi group and things like that. They've done a reasonable job, I think, communicating their concerns about the way they're treated in Australia on a number of issues to the New Zealand government. But I think possibly the New Zealand government needs to think about how they resource or support the articulation of those groups back into the Australian uh, political discourse. Yeah, just getting back to these harsher laws and what drives them. I suppose what's also interesting is that Australia is so ethnically diverse. Is that kind of ignored when these policies are drawn up? Well, it is an interesting paradox, I think. But you're absolutely right. It does fly in the face of history. And many of these policies are really... Uh, echoes of of the past rather than something that can be sustained into the future. And yet it is surprising how popular some of these border control policies have been, partly because of the way they've been reframed. And so a lot of the reframing of these policies has been to focus on that there are good migrants and bad migrants. So the good migrants are people who come here uh, legally through normal migration or who wait the almost infinite amount of time required to wait to get through the refugee migration system. 
And then there are bad migrants who, quote unquote, jump the queue uh, and come here illegally. And so the government has been very effective in using that both to demonise um, asylum seekers and other people, but also to court migrants who have come to Australia, quote unquote, legitimately to say, look, you are good migrants and so you should support our border policy because you got in under this uh, legal regime and everyone who comes illegally as asylum seekers, uh, in a sense, uh, steals a place from you. And so when we talk about, in a sense, 81% of Australians supporting these uh, 2015 laws that allowed dual citizens to be stripped of uh, their Australian citizenship and by default shifting the problem of those individuals on whichever country they have that other citizenship with, be it New Zealand or, you know, Uzbekistan, it doesn't matter. It does show that this, uh, this narrative has been very, very powerful in shifting public opinion. But to be, you know, completely honest, given that so little attention is paid to New Zealand in Australia, I have been surprised how successive Australian uh, Prime Ministers have been willing to run this um, low-level deportation policy of New Zealand citizens and just continually needle successive Prime Ministers of New Zealand for very little, I think, actual political gain in Australia. And as a political scientist, I really can't explain it. Someone said today this latest thing puts relations at an all-time low between the two countries, but it seems like, (laughs) you know, we're taking a lot of notice of that. But in Australia, it's like, well, we didn't notice it. No, that's exactly right. And if you talk to an Australian citizen as a New Zealander and said, look, New Zealand is up in arms about this sort of stuff, they would be like, what? I've never heard of this. And so I think that that tells you that New Zealand's approach to dealing with the relationship with Australia maybe needs to be reconsidered because no degree of political alignment between the ruling party of New Zealand and the ruling party of Australia or um, uh, appeals based on history and solidarity and mateship and all those sorts of things seems to really have any effect really on these policies. And so I guess a future New Zealand government has to consider how they would change that and do they need to be more assertive in their communications with the Australian community or think about other ways that they might engage in uh, forceful activities. And remember, Australia and New Zealand don't just have a kind of transnational friendship relationship. We actually have a massive number of co-governance activities that we engage in. And I wonder what a significant breakdown in that relationship would do for trans-Tasman co-governance activities. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Veal and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Peter Chen and Philippa Mainsmith. Mā te wā. 